I'm Doc Issues from Capes on the Couch, a show that examines the mental health issues of comic book characters, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other amazing geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to episode number 56 of Better Podcasting Live Chat. I am Steven, and I'm pleased to say that SP is here this week. I am here. I am excited. We're going to talk about podcasting and hobby podcasting, and this is a time I get to connect with Steven every week. It's exciting. And I just want to go ahead and, at the top of the show, remind everybody, this is Better Podcasting Live Chat. This is the companion show to the Better Podcasting main show, but you can find all of them over there at betterpodcasting.com, and I say all of them because there's also Better Podcasting Chat with SP as well over there. So you can check that all out at betterpodcasting.com because in September, we're going to come on back with the Better Podcasting main show. That's the plan anyways. <laughs> that is the plan. And right now I don't have anybody sign up for Better Podcasting chats with SP. So <laughs> if you are interested for a hobby podcaster and you're interested in coming on, drop me a line. Stargate Pioneer at betterpodcasting.com will arrange for you to have a time to come on and chat. Awesome. Let's start off right away here with the SM7B follow-up, because if you missed it last week, SP did decide to get himself an SM7B again. Uh, and I say again because, you know, he had one previously, but uh, he did get one on, on a super sale. And so he was using it for part of the episode last week. And for the live audience, you might have, uh, if, if you did your homework, which you're supposed to do, it's, it's a requirement of listening to the show live. You go back and you listen to the posted version afterwards, and you might have noticed a little bit of a difference. And it might have been a reference to the microphone he was using, because while we were recording, we thought that he went SM7B, SM7B, SM7B. Hey, I'm announcing I'm on an SM7B. Now let's compare it to the RE320, talk on that for a few minutes, and then go back to the SM7B. However, comma... It turns out he never actually went back to the uh, 7B by, by mistake or possibly to the, the Rodecaster Pro 2's fault. We don't know. But in any case, I edited that out of the, the posted version because it was, which actually worked out okay, I think, because it was like the first portion was with the SM7B and then the back half was the RE320. So that's that's what it was. It all worked out and we did get a bit of feedback about that and uh, we had Damien talk about it. And uh, Damien in our chat said that he uh, thought you sounded fine until you switched back to the RE320. And then he said he preferred the RE320. And he said, by by all means, both are good. Maybe the 320 is just dialed in a little bit better. But he did say that he thought that uh, the only way to describe it was that you sounded more clear. Didn't like or he didn't dislike the 7B. But when switched, he did like the RE320 more. So... That's that's the feedback that we got from Damien on there. And um, that kind of mimics what you had. Uh, you've always analyzed about it. <laughs> yeah. So a few things. First of all, I mentioned in the last podcast, I did a direct comparison to both in Better Podcasting episode 26. So you can go to betterpodcasting.com slash 26 and you can listen to that original go back and forth between the two that was done via dbx 286s recorded into an h6 now i have the roadcaster pro 2 so i was using both but i could only record one at a time last week i think the key difference between the two was not 
sound necessarily, although I do think the settings on the Rodecaster Pro 2 SM7B, so I just went with the stock SM7B uh, uh, EQ, you know, the settings in there. I did raise the gain by two and I raised the fader up a couple of notches. And that's the only change that I did with the Rodecaster Pro 2. I do think that it was not as muddled. And that could have been one of two reasons. Either the preamp is better on the Rodecaster Pro 2 than on the DBX286. Or I was front loading with too much low end on the DBX286 so many years ago. The tracks were muddled with the SM7B. I remember them especially when I was talking softer and lower when I was editing 10 years ago. I remember that being an issue. I have always sounded clearer on the RE320. And I can only attribute it to the frequency range that is in the RE320 versus the SM7B versus my voice. So here is a great example of the SM7B being a great microphone but my voice is flat to begin with. And then I add a flat microphone with no EQ on it. And it's kind of a deadly combination between the two. There's just not a lot of life in my voice and it doesn't sound muddled, but it sounds equal across. So I'm less clear versus I'm more clear with the RE320. The detriment of the RE320, it, it does have a biting sound to it. I will admit that. And for those that like the smooth sound, that's great. It just doesn't work well on my voice. Now, I'm going to keep this going for a while. We didn't change any of the settings, and there's a reason for that. But we didn't change any of these settings. Like I said, I was going to. I will do that next week. Um, and as Stephen mentioned, there was the issue where we thought we were going to go back and forth. And I didn't, for whatever reason, either the Roadcaster Pro 2 didn't mute correctly or I was incorrectly operating the board and both are plausible so i can't discount either but we're going to do this this week i'm going to listen back to the produced version again and i'm going to make some changes to the settings as we go forward and i'm going to do this for a couple of months and then i'll just go back to the re320 and as i said last week the re320 is probably going to win between the two so Johnny Pennington in the chat said, no RE320? He asked the question, no, R no, no RE20, not 320. I've mentioned before, specifically to Johnny, that my next microphone that I wanted to try was the Electrovoice RE20, and I still do. I think Johnny missed the entire scenario that happened. So Johnny, the Thursday before, so two weeks ago tomorrow, sure had a glitch on their system for six hours. And their entire website at shop.sure.com was 40% off. You didn't have to enter any coupon codes. You just put something in your, in your cart and that 40% coupon was there. So I got this $399 microphone for $240. It was a no brainer. I'm like, I've been thinking about getting another one just to make sure I got it and I'm going to be using it. And I'm not going to give this one away. I'm going to keep it just like I have the Audio-Technica BP40. And I'm not going to get rid of that either. And the Rode Procaster, I'm not going to get rid of that either. But I am probably not going to use it. I'm just going to keep it for comparisons as we gain gear. Because the Rodecaster Pro 2 is not going to be my last mixer that I ever get. 
So in the future, I'm going to be like, okay, so what is the SM7B sound on the whatever I get yeah. in the future? So it could be 10 years from now, it could be five years from now, whatever, but I'm going to keep it. I'm not going to give it away this time, even though I don't prefer my voice on it, but I'm going to do my best because I know a lot of people like this microphone and I get it. It just does not sound good on my voice in comparison <laughs> to the RE324 podcast. Yeah. So when I was editing it, there was a few things that I noticed. And the first, I'm glad you said it because people were going to, people were going to think that I'm, you know, coming out as an RE320 hater and I'm not, it doesn't work for my voice. There's a couple of qualities of it. I'm not, I'm not the wildest about it in certain regards, but yeah, the sharpness, as soon as we got to that point, like I have, I've edited your, you on a podcast many, many years on an RE320, but it was the point that I, I went from playing the SM7B to the RE320, just as I was editing, not even really thinking much about it, because I was actually going through that section for some reason. I don't remember what it was, but I was playing back that section. And then it was just like, oh, wow, that that's like, you know, quite, quite the crisp difference, right? Because it does have that higher end in there. Now, again, in the context of like just a whole episode, I would I would never even think about that. I've never really thought about that as I've edited before on you. But just the back to back, it was quite the stark difference. But the other thing that I observed was that on the SM7B, um, I had to bring the actual gain up a little bit um, that I was allowing. And, and we've talked about this on this show and Better Podcasting before. When I edit the podcast, usually for you, I actually run you a little quieter than me because the perceived loudness because of my our voice difference, the perceived loudness means that you sound louder than me on a track, even if we're at the same gain. And so I end up doing that and I had to bring you up a little bit on that 7B and I left the RE320 settings the exact same thing. And then the other aspect as well was that um, I noticed that your track was a lot more uneven on the SM7B in, in like, you know, peaks and valleys compared to the RE320. And I suspect that might be partially just from needing to dial it in a little bit because it is a gain heavy microphone. But also like and so maybe the onboard compressor and stuff is is um, working a little bit differently between the channels because of that. But the other aspect, too, is probably that proximity effect that we've talked about before is probably that's probably coming into play a little bit on there compared to the RE320, which is very static. And the last thing I want to want to note is, as I definitely noticed that um, if I had wanted to, uh, I could have shut off the DSer on on the SM7B, I think, for you, I. I noticed, and I, and I did as a bit of a test as I was editing. Uh, you're at your, it is much more forgiving for the DSing factor than the RE320 is for you. And that's probably that higher range difference. But I definitely noticed that that was different. Um, but that's an, you know, it doesn't matter. The microphone, the DSing is a necessary step for a lot of people. And it's just an extra plug in on your track. Like, who cares? Right. So. <laughs> or it's a it, it's a uh, tweak in the equalization in in the settings on oh, yeah. the Rodecaster Pro too as well. So yeah, there's there's many different things along the way that could help uh, the microphone, the RE320, and the Shure SM7B, which is why I'm going to spend a couple of months fooling around with it. It's on the stand; it'll be on the stand. I got the 320 right behind me back there. I'm not going <laughs> to grab it or anything, but it is not put away. I'm going to clean it. Definitely needs a, a thorough cleaning, so I'm going to do that before I put it back on the stand. But yeah, the Shure SM7B is what I've got for now, and both Stephen and I, unless Stephen changes his microphones, will both <laughs> be using Shure SM7Bs for the next couple of months. 
Oh, and the other thing I want to throw out there is that I, I do think that, you know, the raw pre-process track, I think, um, like, especially noticing it live, I, I do think that you live sound better on the 320 without question than the SM7B. And that's just because the many different factors of, of you know, a video ninja compressing you, the, the sound coming into my board, my board doing all this, this stuff. I think that um, just because of that higher, that, that, clearer higher end on the re320 i think that almost pierces through all of that nonsense in the chain while we're streaming live that that comes after your rig and so you know i i do think like you do sound better from a live perspective as well on the re320 so yeah i don't remember exactly what i said just a couple of minutes ago just to enunciate when i was listening back to myself i didn't hate it it wasn't bad i sounded good but I just sound better on the RE320. That's the difference between the two. And if I'm going to have a microphone that I sound better on, might as well just use it. <laughs> so, so, you know, so rather than saying, oh, I'm going to use this because I bought it on sale and I really like a microphone I bought on sale. Yeah, it's whatever sounds best to me, really. And they're both listenable. They're both great. I could use both for the rest of my life and it would be fine until one broke. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not going to last forever, right? So I'm going to have to get a replacement for the RE320 at some point. That is 10 years old, that RE320. It's a 10-year-old microphone, yeah. Oh, really quick. There was one, actually, one other thing I wanted to note was was that I talked about that moment where it switched between the two. Mm -hmm. and, and I actually thought that that moment, for me, was a great example of the polarizing aspects of both microphones, where some people go, no, the RE320 is too sharp for me in the high end. And some people go, no, the SM7B is too, too heavy in the bass. So it was kind of like a nice contrast to kind of be like, hey, both of these work for different voices in different ways. Like it was kind of a nice little moment that I had while editing. <laughs> I think that it does lead to some bias in microphone reviewers that yeah, don't you use more than their own voice. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. They're reviewing the microphone for what works for them. That's what we do here on Better Podcasting, too, which was great because Stephen and I have slightly different voices. Yeah. So like the RE320 doesn't work on him. And obviously the SM7B, I'm not wild about myself. But if you are uh, going to a reviewer that is only using their own voice as a basis, remember that is a bias in their review. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just definitely a bias to consider. If your voice is remarkably different than theirs, you might want to go look for other reviews with a voice that is more like yourself. For sure. So we'd love to know what your thoughts have been on it. Uh, like SP said, he'll be on the 7B. And um, the posted version, you know, he's been dialing in a little bit on his board and I'll probably have to do a little bit of dialing in on my my side as well as I edit it, just because um, that's what you have to do when you get a new microphone. You got to find what's the best uh, changes to your plugins, because, you know, just like the microphone changes your voice, the plugins do affect differently on um, a different microphone. So. So I said two things at the end of the last episode that I want to make sure that we hit in this episode. <laughs> Good call. The, fir <laughs> the first was uh, how I say my podcast story for me on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 476. So that was about a month ago. I did the typical thing in we recorded several tracks and I actually had to use the fourth backup track for Waffles, a.k.a. Chris over on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
stuff was messing up. He didn't have, I, I think what we resolved it as, because it took a couple of weeks to resolve, he just unplugged everything and plugged it back in. So it was probably some cord that wasn't seated correctly, but he was able to get me one good track. So I was able to use that one track. Otherwise, it would have been rough uh, to listen to him regardless of what track we had. So just another sales for backup tracks have a... What we actually took, I believe, was his PodTrack P4 recording. And I think that's what we took and put on the show. If I'm incorrect about that, Chris, let me know. But we took that, we put it, I was able to process that track and use that. And I was able to get something that was listenable because he was cutting in and out. There was static in the line across the board and everything like that. But now this latest one, he sounds great and uh, just that's how I said my podcast story is I had a co-host that had recorded three tracks of his own. I had a track and StreamYard had a track. So I guess that's five total tracks. No, he only had two tracks. So that's four total tracks. I was able to use his second track in order to get everything done. So yeah, there you go. It's just a sales for multiple tracks, multiple recordings. I know not everybody can do it, but if you can, might as well give it a try. It might save your butt some time. What was the second thing that you had that you wanted to mention? The second thing that I wanted to mention was in the end of June of 2023, the Federal Trade Commission in the United States issued new guidance for advertising, and they did specifically call out podcasts in their documentation. Also, as examples in the actual, uh, I forget what it is, CFR 255, I believe, it's in their guidelines and in their their bylaws, basically giving examples of truth in advertising. So if you get something to review, you have to disclose that you got it from a company. And conversely, just to keep everything on the level, if you have bought something yourself, for instance, this Sure SM7B that I'm using right now, we talked about for the first 15 minutes of this show, I bought that myself. This was not gifted by Sure. This was not gifted by anybody. I bought it with my own money. So I'm not on the hook for advertising for sure. Just like the RE320, I bought myself, matter of fact, all the microphones I have, I have purchased myself. And I believe in one specific case, maybe two, I, I don't remember the second one, but Steven did get a unit for review and we did disclose that yeah. when that happened. But otherwise, we have bought everything on our own. I could tell you, you one of them right now, which, which I, I believe you can unequivocally say that my opinion stated was unbiased and it was that I was loaned the BP 40 and why I can say that it was unequivocally unbiased was because I bought the damn thing and repaid for shipping because of a mix up when I sent it back and they're like, I'm and a timing and I ended up like, can I still buy it? And so I bought the damn thing. That's how much I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one the other one was that silver microphone that yeah. you're getting from that yeah. startup in nbc we disclosed both of them right and other than that we have disclosed all of them well you have to disclose everything and it is just like a normal uh radio show or a commercial on tv they specifically call it podcasts which means that podcasts are now held via the ftc to the same standard as everything else and the FTC could be coming after you if you misrepresent something like you report something but it's really a sponsored bit or something like that you, you just have to be careful on what is opinion and what is sponsored 
and disclose it fully. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. There are several links on the FTC website that go through this. There was a news story. There was a main homepage. There was a little short video that was old video, but it's still applied. And then there was the actual uh, code, the CFR, which I don't know what CFR stands for off the top of my head, but there are several. I've got like six of them listed If Steven remembers, he'll throw them in the show notes. And if he doesn't, let me know and I will send them to you. But you have to keep in those same standards that you hear on sports events and everything else. You know, this this show is brought to you by whatever. And just make sure that you disclose it. Otherwise, and that's not sure as in sure, S-H-U-R-E, sure. Just make certain (laughs) that you are disclosing because I don't want you to get in trouble at all. I don't know if they're going to go after hobbyists or not or smaller podcasts. Probably not. But who knows with... You know, they did the um, the bots going after music, right? And and content on YouTube. That same thing could now the FTC could use automated uh, learning and go after every single podcast that's out there. I am so glad they're revisiting this, if only to raise awareness again, because we actually talked about this a long time ago. I think on Better Podcasting or Better Podcasting Live Chat, because. Um, it's it's been a thorn in my side. Some of these people who have skirted this and and they've clearly skirted it and they've not disclosed it. And this is on YouTube videos and things like that. And I remember at the time we discussed a big case against big influencer. I, I don't want to risk throwing a name that's incorrect, but it might have might have rhymed with Cardassian, if I remember correctly, it'd be go, <laughs> on social media. Um, I'm just a Star Trek fan. Um, if I remember correctly, there was some big case against somebody big. I, I, I don't know for sure who it was. And they had not disclosed that they had been provided the product and, and the FTC to go after him. And in that venture, um, I had looked a little bit as well. And at the time, I'm assuming the guidance is the same now. The FTC did state that like, because the FTC is an American thing, right? They, they did state that just because you're not American doesn't mean we're not going to hold you to this if business is being conducted, you know, basically on on soil. Like, you know, because I, there's obviously if if there's money being exchanged to do with an American business, then obviously there must be some form of recourse they potentially could have. So, you know, you want to be aware of that. If you are, are are delivering a product that has reasonable expectations that it's going to be viewed in, in the U.S., um, and especially if there's an American business involved in money and whatnot, whatnot just because you don't live there doesn't mean you shouldn't be aware of this because that's business conducted somewhat in in uh in the u.s so keep that in mind because i remember i clearly came across that but also how many reviews have we seen in sp over the years of podcasters doing reviews not disclosing it every single time and, and just going and putting their review out there when later they've admitted they were sent for a product maybe they didn't send it back or whatever, right? Like, you know, we've seen that many times, names talking about something and admitting later that it was provided to them. Yeah, I'll call out the specific company and it wasn't the company, it was the reviewers. The Roadcaster Pro, when it originally came out, they sent units out to be reviewed. And I don't know the behind the scenes because we weren't offered one. 
but I don't know if Road expected to get them back at some point in time or the reviewer thought that Road expected to get them back at point some point in time. But after the review, they said, no, just keep it, that sort of thing. That's kind of compensation. And I remember having to directly ask a few of them, did you get this free from Road? Because I was wondering how so many units were out there. Usually a company only has like so many units that they send out for review and then they get them back and then you send them out to somebody else for a review. And in this particular case, so many people were reviewing it. I'm like, they must have just sent them all out. And then I was thinking, well, that's a lot of money to lay out. Do they get them back? And then are they going to send it out to other people? For instance, could we look into it? And I believe at the time, Stephen, you and I had a conversation. We were like, we would prefer to buy it ourselves. So we didn't really pursue it at the time. Yeah. Matter of fact, there was another company, which I won't name right now, but there was another company that offered that and we declined. We politely declined. Very thankful for the offer, but we declined because we thought, well, we don't want to go into that same trap. But there were several reviewers that did not disclose with the Roadcaster Pro, the original Roadcaster Pro, that they received it free from Road and then continued to use it uh, for years after that. And that ju- that just bugged me. That bugged me that other reviewers were not saying bad things about it because they had been given the review the unit for free. And one issue in particular that we had issues with that we couldn't say anything until we got it, but we suspected was the preamps were a little bit inferior on it and led to possibly some issues. Steven, you're using a an amplifier right now uh, on yours because of that issue. Um, whereas if you had a Rodecaster Pro 2, you might not have needed that additional gain. Uh, so that is something that we thought should have been brought out, but everybody was so gaga over the other capabilities that they kind of glanced over that at the time of the reviews. So that's just an example of what could happen in podcasting when you don't disclose exactly what's going on. And um, there was a note uh, as I was just rereading some of this here. Um they say in their documentation, uh, don't assume your followers already know about your brand relationships. And I think this is an area that a lot of podcast advice people don't follow because they may be like, hey, I'm doing an official review right now. I'm throwing it on YouTube or I'm throwing an episode out and I'm acknowledging that I was given this for free. And then later it comes up again in conversation. And so now they're like, you know, what? I'm let's use the Roadcaster Pro. Let's say that I was given that for free. Again, I was not given that for free, but let's say that I was. And so then I'm like, I, I do my review and I'm like, yep, was provided this for free. And then later you and I are doing a live chat and someone's like, hey, what do you like about the Roadcaster? I'm like, oh, this is awesome because of X, Y, Z and, and whatnot. Well, now I'm not still not, I'm not disclosing it and you don't know that I was given it. So it's like, you know, in a revisit, every time you talk about it, you probably should be mentioning that because Otherwise, you know, it's still an, it, it, you know, it's still like a, an inadvertent re, uh, reviewer promotion for it. So, right. And the last but time I'm like, these we're got- also, I should give our standard disclaimer. Neither of us are lawyers. This is not legal advice. We don't, we talk to a lawyer. <laughs> that That's good advice. Yeah. It's standard. I should have started with that standard disclaimer. The last time these guidelines were updated was 2009 and podcasting wasn't nearly as big as it is today. So they revised it to cover that. And they also covered social influencers as well. So the two can go together, but they are separate. And it is, as Stephen mentioned, an official term, social influencers. So that is 
in the official documentation now. So whether you're a podcaster or a social influencer or mainstream media, you got to go ahead and disclose. And that's about all I want to say about that, because we have a few other things to cover. <laughs> Steven, you had something here. Yeah. So I wanted to acknowledge um, a, a little bit of a bug that we've had the last couple of weeks that we've streamed. And last week we did have, I think it was Damien saying to me or saying to us, wait, you guys just stopped now. And that was a couple of weeks after or a couple hours after we stopped recording. And what happened was he had noticed that that we had shown us being online on as live on YouTube for several hours. Well, I've mentioned this before. I use Restream and and Restream is a thing that I send basically our video out while we're streaming live to a service called Restream and that sends it out to Twitch and that sends it out to YouTube. And when I hit end on the stream from OBS, when I hit end, Restream takes that and goes, oh, it's over now. And in theory, stops sending the video out to the other sources and it's supposed to end the streams as well. And that's how it's usually worked. But the last couple of weeks, for some reason, that end trigger hasn't happened on YouTube. So I had to go into YouTube studio and manually say, hey, it's it's not live. So it's not like there was video going out at that point. It's just that YouTube's acting like we're streaming, even though there's no video coming to it. So um, anyways, I don't know what that is. I probably just need to delete my authorization and restream for YouTube and re-add it and it'll probably all be fixed. But But that's my guess on it. So anyways, if you saw streaming for like, you know, four hours two weeks ago and uh, two and a half hours last week that we weren't actually. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Although that'd be kind of fun going that long at some point in time. Uh, Damien, by the way, also had an issue that I had been talking about with Vegas. He didn't he's not using Vegas. He's using Hindenburg. I mentioned that I was having issues when I exported and that before I exported or rendered the file. I would have to close the program and reopen it, especially after I'd been editing for a while. Well, he's using Hindenburg, I believe 2.0. I think that's what the new thing is called. And he experienced the same issue where he was working on it for a while. He exported it and he was noticing some audio issues. So he re-exported it, re-rendered it, whatever you want to call it with Hindenburg. And he said, it's fine right after that. So I don't know if this is a computer memory thing. I don't know if this is some sort of uh, engine or algorithm that they're all using between Vegas and Hindenburg. But if you use it for, if you use any DAW for a while and then you immediately render without saving it, closing it and coming back, just FYI, you might experience some audio artifacts. And that is from two different people that we know, myself and Damien right now. Don't know if anybody else has ever had that issue, but that's just an FYI. Make sure you listen to the rendered version afterwards, because you might come up with this issue as well. I just thought of this, Damien, when you hear this, can you go and follow up with us so we can talk about this next week? What plugins do you have on the tracks if you have them? Because I wonder if there's a common plugin, like maybe it's a bug in uh, Isotope or or not even a bug in Isotope. If he let, maybe he's using Windows as well and he's using a plugin that's a uh, 32-bit based and and you know there's a bug in windows doing the 32-bit to 64 or something like that you know like is there a common factor in there somewhere that's what i'm curious about yeah that's uh, a great i'm using windows 10 i'm using the uh, gmax i'm using isotope rx9 several plugins in that suite i'm using the um, spl dverb plus i believe it is and I'm also using the inherent Vegas plugins right. like the uh the the noise gate that's in there 
And uh, I don't know if there's another one, but so those are the main plugins that I'm using on the tracks. Well, talking about Vegas, that's a nice little segue here. Uh, last week, I talked about how I uh, want to uh, try to backtrack with Vegas just, you know, for giggles. I went Vegas, then I did Da Vinci, and then I'm like, well, Da Vinci didn't work for me. Let me do Vegas. And then I'm like, oh, wait, Da Vinci has changed something, so let me run that for a little while. And then I want to try to do Vegas again, just, you know, for giggles, right? Well, for those of you who have followed us closely since we returned from our hiatus, since then, I've been live streaming in OBS instead of the long-standing XSplit that I was using. And that was for a couple different reasons. But um, I saw that there was a new update out for XSplit. And part of that was that they put a new uh, browser plugin in there. Um, so if you're you know, embedding a website, which is basically what we do when we're doing um, Video Ninja here for our, our live streams. And that made me think, maybe it's time for me to revisit XSplit again. So I kind of want to try to give it a, a bit of a go again and um, just see where they're at right now. And I, I want to obviously try that new plugin, but I also want to try to find out, um, is the chroma key still as it was um, a year ago? Because a year ago, I wasn't wild about it. But also, um, assuming I can get past that point, I know before the hiatus, I was having some weird glitches with some uh, transitions and some um, some stutters and things like that. And I'd like to know, is that all working a little bit better? There's been several versions that have come out since I was using this week to week. You know, it was before the hiatus was the last time I was using it regularly. And then uh, I also talked uh, a while ago about how there is a vertical video plugin available for OBS. And I'd like to see, is there a similar option for XSplit? So those are kind of my couple things that I got on the sort of almost immediate future that I'd like to re-revisit uh or, or just revisit and and see where we're at there but i'm still green screening so if the chroma key sucks on there i might have to stick obs <laughs> to follow on to last week's discussion along these lines i know that xsplit has a monthly plan they also mm. have a quarterly plan so if you just want to try it for a month you can do that without sinking a lot of money into it yeah and you would be fine, I, I would think there. A little less worried about XSplit because XSplit is is more pervasive over time than uh, the Vegas is. Because Vegas, what do you get? Like 12 months before they go to a new version. Yeah. So if you wanted to keep current, that's going to cost you a lot more money either way. And with XSplit, it's a, a little bit more forgiving there. Like you can go two or three months and, and get come out and still not you know, feel bad about buying a new forever license or whatever. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is XSplit has built in the multiple destinations. So like with there, you can, it's got right in without adding any add-ons, the ability to say hit a stream to YouTube and hit a stream to Twitch directly from within the software. And I've got symmetrical gigabit. So that means gigabit speeds down, gigabit speeds up. I have lots of overhead to do that. So last week I lied. You lied. Uh, you know, on what? My list is long. <laughs> I lied because I said, since we recorded last, I made two changes in my studio and uh -oh. I was just spacing out. I actually <laughs> made a couple more, right? Oh, really? So, yeah, I did. So the first is I had one of the power switches in my, my switcher for the speakers, the monitors. It was bad. So I know it's kind of difficult to see this, but there's a little pin in there that holds this switch in. And uh, yeah, the pin on one side broke. So uh, if you're watching the video, you can see me not 
actually flip the switch, but just push it down. And it is definitely rocking back and forth up and down. So this needed to come out because at some point in time, the other pin was going to break and this whole switch was going to pop out and I would have no way to change the speakers on or off. They would either be on or off and I wouldn't be able to use this. Now I could have made do and put it into another port and use that switch or whatever. So I took that switch down and I actually put a new switch in, which is a problem because these little pins on the bottom that hold it in, I don't know what to call them. They're not pins, but they're, they're just little leverage things. It's impossible to get on the bottom. So what I had to use was like four quarters or something to get the pin up in order to push it out. So I was able to do that. And then I put the new switch in upside down. So I had to do the same thing with that to get it out. So that was one thing. And the other thing that I did is I installed the new hard drive. And this is the old one as I do the ASMR of the boxing. So this is the old 12 terabyte drive. I put a 20 terabyte drive in. You need to uh, ra rattle that uh, anti-static package a little more. There you go. There you go. So <laughs> I this is the old podcast storage drive. It's out. The 20 terabyte is in. And uh, you don't really get to all 20 terabytes. You get 18.1 according to Windows 10. And I have just over oh, close to 8 terabytes that are available right now. So I'm thinking good for two, maybe three years. It depends on how much 4K video that I do, to be honest with you. But I'm good there for the storage. And again, for those that are wondering why are you putting such a big drive in there, it has to do with offsite backup. It's just easier with Backblaze to put all that storage in that machine versus going to a NAS and trying to back up the NAS. So that is the two additional things that I lied about not doing and that is i didn't really lie i just forgot so you know i got a broken foot i've been taking some pain meds i think i'm allowed <laughs> one or two there so <laughs> anyway i did that that is something that two additional uh things with the studio that i upgraded and then also this week i did one more thing but steven do you have one last thing oh i was uh, you go ahead that's fine okay so i did an online class from my desk here just yesterday. And as I was taking the class, I would want to get up, you know, the whole work from home thing. Hey, I'm home. I'm not at work. I can do things like switch around the laundry while I'm doing this. Right. So I got up, I used blue, my Bluetooth headphones. There were 4.1 Bluetooth anchor headphones. And I walked over to the laundry room, which is literally behind that wall. And I was losing connection with my Bluetooth headphones. I'm like, gosh, dang it. Uh, maybe I just need new headphones. So I did some looking. I put a post in our Discord server. Does anybody have recommendations? I don't think people were getting exactly what I was asking for. That's fine. But I did some online research and the Anker Q45 headphones came up as a affordable middle end one. So I went ahead and ordered that. I had some gift cards from Amazon for my kids from the last few like holidays and birthdays and stuff. So it covered it. It was free. And I went ahead and purchased it at 5.30 p.m. yesterday. I'm not kidding. At 8.32 last night, they showed up on my... Wow. On my, uh, yeah. Three hours. Three hours to get these things. So I was able to fool around with a little... Of, 
with them today before we went online. Uh, the whole thing was range and trying to get all the house in with it. So I'm walking around the house with them and I was running into the same issues. I'd mm. go to the coffee maker and they were cut. It was a little bit better. Like I got 10 more feet, but I'm like, I need 15 feet. What's going on? So here's the thing, guys. It's not necessarily the version of your Bluetooth or the headphones. I came back and I took the antenna that was behind the computer and it was sandwiched in between the back of the computer and the UPS that I have. Uh. So I'm thinking there was an extreme electron interference and I took it up and I put it on the shelf that the boom arm is mounted to. And then I walked around and, you know, get into the mailbox is fine and everything. <laughs> so it's not necessarily your Bluetooth headphones. Now, I will continue to enjoy these 5.3 Bluetooth headphones. I'm not going to just, you know, throw them away or anything. But the 4.1s almost got to the mailbox. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, dang it, I just needed to move the antenna. That said, I don't know the specifications of this antenna that came with the MSI motherboard that I bought with it. And I've been trying to look for it and I don't know the power specifications of it. And I know I can get an 8 dBi uh, that you can get a lot of them, not just one there. The, it seems like the max power they're able to do is 8 dBi. So I don't know if that one's 8 dBi or not. I might actually spend the $15 to get another 8 dBi antenna to see if I can get across the street, maybe instead I, of just to the mailbox. I like it. And um yeah, I've definitely been there with that. Um, I've run into that before where, um, yeah, my antenna was basically shoved down behind my computer. And then I was like, why is this cutting out? And it's not even like, you know, it wasn't even going very far. And then I'm like, oh, reach out. And mine's magnetic. So I uh, stick mine right on the top of my case. <laughs> and here's another thing for people that might not necessarily know. Bluetooth runs on the same band that Wi-Fi runs. Yes. So it's officially a Wi-Fi antenna. It's not a Bluetooth antenna. So... If you're wondering, I need a new Bluetooth antenna, but I have a good Wi-Fi antenna, don't worry about it. Your Wi-Fi antenna is the same. And that's an important thing as well for people who um, are wanting to use the Bluetooth function on their computers, but not the Wi-Fi function. And I know I ran into that. That's how I kind of first discovered it was I didn't use Wi-Fi. I had hardwired Ethernet into my computer. And I'm like, well, the Bluetooth is really crappy on this. Let me try putting in the in the antenna for the Wi-Fi. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because it's the same same frequency. So I actually watched a video that specifically said that same thing. It's <laughs> like, are you hardwired in to get your it was a, a gamer review. Are you hardwired in to get the best uh, signal to the Internet? And you're wondering why your Bluetooth sucks. This is why. Put your antennas on your computer. You will thank me. And yeah. there's a bunch of comments in there. Thank you. I didn't know that Bluetooth was the same as Wi-Fi, yada, yada, yada. Now, if you do have something like a industry proprietary uh, keyboard or mouse that takes a specific dongle, you still have to use that specific dongle. But if it's universal, you can get you can use that antenna. And like I said, there if you have the two antenna leads into your motherboard, there are, you know, $10, $15 antennas out there that are 8 dBi. And just make sure you get the frequencies that of whatever Bluetooth device that you're using and you'll be fine. You know, and if you make a mistake like that, it's OK to say that you made a mistake and that you learned and, and that's OK. And, and I want to rant a little bit about this because I've noticed this like really, really cropping up in podcasting. And, and I'm going to say that it, it's not just 
a certain type of podcaster either. It seems to me like there's it's been kind of aggravating me for a little while. So I kind of want to kind of rant a little bit about this because of this is that that there's a lot of one upping happening in the podcast space while lately. And it's been, you know, it's been there since you and I have started better podcasting, but it just seems like a lot of people um, feel like they need to be at the, at the top, top of the ladder or, you know, not being able to admit when things are wrong or that they learned. And, and I've just seen a lot of conversations lately where, you know, it's, it's like, Hey, I, I did this this isn't working. And then someone comes in and is like, this is the solution. And then a third person comes in and is like, yeah, that's definitely me. Like, you know, like I've, I've, I've definitely been the one who, who, um, who, who did this, but you need to do it better. You need, in, instead of, instead of this solution, which clearly just worked for you, you need to actually do this other solution. And it's like, no, no, no. The thing, there's two people that have had a conversation and person two help person one fix the problem. You don't need to come in and tell them that 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 advice was wrong. And, you know, likewise, similarly, if somebody is proven to be wrong, it seems like they're often not willing to admit that they're wrong. And they just like, you know, put their heels in and be like, no, I, I you know, it worked fine for me. So so, you know, therefore, the solution is perfect, even though it's not working for you. And and that just aggravates me because it's okay to admit you're wrong. You and I have both many times on this podcast changed our point of view or, or whatever and admitted it. And um, I, I just don't get why why so many people in the podcast space right now seem to need to put their heels in and just not be willing to accept that there are many different ways that you can peel an orange. Like, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And that's been so frustrating. And also not admitting that there can be problems. Sometimes people seem to get upset when somebody has a critique about something like this is not an actual example, but I'll use it as an example. Let's say you and I had a problem with a certain media host and we went out there and we're like, this, this is the problem that we've identified with this media host. And this is why we don't recommend it. And then somebody comes in and basically just like, you know, says, why, why are you guys hate on, on everything all the time? Why do you, why do you hate that? Like I've been using that media host for a long time. I don't get that. Like, it's okay to accept that, you know, some, some people might see things a little bit different and they might have a different viewpoint and they might have different priorities. And it doesn't mean that they're just being haters or it doesn't mean that they're, they're being grumpy. It means that they're seeing things differently. And, and that whole thing has really been aggravating me lately. And, and just the whole way that people seem to need to be so adamant when talking about podcasting or exchanging idea about uh, ideas about podcasting. And I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, give your opinion. And, and I think that, you know, if people have a strong opinion, give your strong opinion, but don't be, be unwilling to hear another point of view in podcasting or be unwilling to understand that two people can see things differently in the podcasting space. And, and, just because somebody else is is seeing a different solution doesn't mean that your solution is better or it doesn't mean that your solution is the one that that needs to be the one that someone else chooses it just bugs me i don't know if that even made sense but that's just that whole idea has been bugging me and exhausting me lately diversity is such a attribute of podcasting it's 
capable of doing so much that two things could be entirely right and be in direct conflict with each other. So you can't dissuade anything and you don't know where that innovation is going to come from that is going to give you the next big thing, the next big uh, available to promote, the next big content creation, the next big tool to help you uh, get your stuff out faster. Like uh, we've been talking about all this year, AI, that's a new tool for podcasting this year that's become realizable for everybody. So yeah, if you don't branch out, if you don't do something that's a little bit differently, you're going to miss out on a way to make your lives better and easier by podcasting. And um, Stephen, I know you've got a heart out. We have a question here from Waffles. Should we wait for next week or should no, we go ahead and that, answer it? Let's throw that right out before we go, because, yeah, we've got to shut this off here any minute. But I just wanted to throw this out here so people can answer. Waffles says, quote, kind of along the lines of SP's SM7B thoughts. It hit me that I've had my Behringer 404 interface basically since I started podcasting. That's about eight years on the initial release of the product and rough math. Not that much less for my personal unit. As far as I can tell, it's going strong. Plus, since I don't use two of the inputs, I have those that aren't getting the same kind of wear and tear being used. At what point should I think about upgrading before things go wrong? A few things to consider. I have a P4, but I like getting my local recording plus the P4. I got the four input because my wife and I were doing things together and it was easier for me to leave her with a permanent setup distinct from the ones I usually get from guests. That's really looking like it won't consistently happen for a while. So that's not as big of a concern anymore. So with those scenarios, what are your thoughts about the solution for waffles? We'd love to know. And again, um, keep in mind that last part because immediately when I was reading through them, like, why don't you just use the P4? But that makes so much sense, keeping it independent. So so let us know. Come to our Discord at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord and tell us what are your thoughts to Waffle's question. Yeah, I'm looking forward to enunciating my thoughts as well, which I might actually get him, you know, get to him beforehand. But <laughs> if you want to talk directly to him, come to our Discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord and answer his question there. We're probably going to use your response on the following podcast. And if you want to get feedback back to us, go ahead and do that. And we will tell waffles on the air as well. So for episode number 56 of Better Podcasting Live Chat, I'm Steven saying numbers are hard. I'm SP saying I hope you have fun with your hobby podcast. We'll see you next week as we talk more fun things with hobby podcasting. Bye. Bye, everybody. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.